Section twenty seven of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume three, by James Boswell, Section twenty seven. Johnson why sir i do not know that campbell ever lied with pen and ink but you could not entirely depend on anything he told you in conversation if there was fact mixed with it however i loved campbell he was a solid orthodox man he had a reverence for religion though defective in practice he was religious in principle and he did nothing grossly wrong that i have heard boswell i told him that i had been present the day before when mrs montague the literary lady footnote in the following september she is thus mentioned by miss burney mrs thrale to-morrow sir mrs montague dines here and then you will have talk enough Dr. Johnson began to see-saw, with a countenance strongly expressive of inward fun, and after enjoying it some time in silence, he suddenly and with great animation turned to me and cried, Down with her, Bernie, down with her, spare her not, attack her, fight her, and down with her at once. You are a rising wit, and she is at the top and when i was beginning the world and was nothing and nobody the joy of my life was to fire at all the established wits and then everybody loved to halloo me on she has adds miss burney a sensible and penetrating countenance and the air and manner of a woman accustomed to being distinguished and of great parts Dr. Johnson, who agrees in this, told us that a Mrs. Harvey of his acquaintance says she can remember Mrs. Montague trying for this same air and manner. End of footnote. Sat to Miss Reynolds for her picture, and that she said she had bound up Mr. Gibbon's history without the last two offensive chapters but that she thought the book so far good as it gave in an elegant manner the substance of the bad writers made avy which the late lord littleton advised her to read johnson sir she has not read them she shows none of this impetuosity to me she does not know greek and i fancy knows little latin she is willing you should think she knows them but she does not say she does footnote dr a carlyle says she did not take at edinburgh lord kames who was at first catched with her parnassian coquetry said at last that he believed she had as much learning as a well-educated college lad here of sixteen in genuine feelings and deeds she was remarkably deficient 
we saw her often in the neighbourhood of newcastle and in that town where there was no audience for such an actress as she was her natural character was displayed which was that of an active manager of her affairs a crafty chaperone and a keen pursuer of her interest not to be outdone by the sharpest coal dealer on the time but in this capacity she was not displeasing for she was not acting a part End of footnote. boswell mr harris who was present agreed with her johnson harris was laughing at her sir harris is a sound sullen scholar he does not like interlopers harris however is a prig and a bad prig footnote what my friend meant by these words concerning the amiable philosopher of salisbury i am at a loss to understand a friend suggests that johnson thought his manner as a writer affected while at the same time the matter did not compensate for that fault in short that he meant to make a remark quite different from that which a celebrated gentleman made on a very eminent position he is a coxcomb but a satisfactory coxcomb boswell malone says that the celebrated gentleman was gerard hamilton see boswell's hebrides where johnson says that he thought harris a coxcomb End of footnote. i looked into his book and thought he did not understand his own system boswell he says plain things in a formal and abstract way to be sure but his method is good for to have clear notions upon any subject we must have recourse to analytic arrangement johnson sir it is what everybody does whether they will or no but sometimes things may be made darker by definition i see a cow i define her animal quadrupes ruminans cornutum a goat ruminates and a cow may have no horns cow is plainer boswell i think dr franklin's definition of man a good one a tool-making animal johnson but many a man never made a tool and suppose a man without arms he could not make a tool talking of drinking wine he said i did not leave off wine because i could not bear it i have drunk three bottles of port without being the worse for it university college has witnessed this footnote on the back of the engraving of johnson in the common room of university college is inscribed samuel johnson doctor of laws in hac camera communi frequens conviva doctor of divinity guillemus scott lupus socius Guillemus Scott is better known as Lord Stoll. End of footnote. Boswell. Why then, sir, did you leave it off? Johnson. Why, sir, because it is so much better for a man to be sure that he is never to be intoxicated, never to lose the power 
over himself i shall not begin to drink wine again till i grow old and want it boswell i think sir you once said to me that not to drink wine was a great deduction from life johnson it is a diminution of pleasure to be sure but i do not say a diminution of happiness there is more happiness in being rational boswell but if we could have pleasure always should we not be happy the greatest part of men would compound for pleasure johnson supposing we could have pleasure always an intellectual man would not compound for it the greatest part of men would compound because the greatest part of men are gross boswell i allow there may be greater pleasure than from wine i have had more pleasure from your conversation i have indeed i assure you i have johnson when we talk of pleasure we mean sensual pleasure when a man says he had pleasure with a woman he does not mean conversation but something of a very different nature philosophers tell you that pleasure is contrary to happiness gross men prefer animal pleasure so there are men who have preferred living among savages now what a wretch must he be who is content with such conversation as can be had among savages you may remember an officer at port augustus who had served in america told us of a woman whom they were obliged to bind in order to get her back from savage life boswell she must have been an animal a beast johnson sir she was a speaking cat i mentioned to him that i had become very weary in a company where i heard not a single intellectual sentence except that a man who had been settled ten years in minorca was become a much inferior man to what he was in london because a man's mind grows narrow in a narrow place johnson a man's mind grows narrow in a narrow place whose mind is enlarged only because he has lived in a large place but what is got by books and thinking is preserved in a narrow place as well as in a large place a man cannot know modes of life as well in minorca as in london but he may study mathematics as well in minorca boswell i don't know sir if you had remained ten years in the isle of col you would not have been the man that you are now johnson yes sir if i had been there from fifteen to twenty-five but not if from twenty-five to thirty-five boswell i answer the spirits which i have in london make me do everything with more readiness and vigour i can talk twice as much in london as anywhere else of goldsmith he said he was not an agreeable companion for he always talked for fame 
a man who does so never can be pleasing the man who talks to unburthen his mind is the man to delight you an eminent friend of ours is not so agreeable as the variety of his knowledge would otherwise make him because he talks partly from ostentation footnote eminent is the epithet boswell generally applies to burke and burke almost certainly is here meant yet johnson later on said burke's talk is the ebullition of his mind he does not talk from a desire of distinction but because his mind is full End of footnote. soon after our arrival at thrales i heard one of the maids calling eagerly on another to go to dr johnson i wondered what this could mean i afterwards learnt that it was to give her a bible which he had brought from london as a present to her he was for a considerable time occupied in reading memoir de fontenelle leaning and swinging upon the low gate into the court without his hat i looked into lord kames's sketches of the history of man and mentioned to dr johnson his censure of charles v for celebrating his funeral obsequies in his lifetime which i told him i had been used to think a solemn and affecting act Footnote. Keynes describes it as an act as wild as any that superstition ever suggested to a distempered brain. End of footnote. Johnson. Why, sir, a man may dispose his mind to think so of that act of Charles, but it is so liable to ridicule that if one man out of ten thousand laughs at it, he'll make the other nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine laugh too i could not agree with him in this sir john pringle had expressed a wish that i would ask dr johnson's opinion what were the best english sermons for style i took an opportunity to-day of mentioning several to him atterbury johnson yes sir one of the best boswell tillotson johnson why not now i should not advise a preacher at this day to imitate tillotson's style though i don't know i should be cautious of objecting to what has been applauded by so many suffrages south is one of the best if you accept his peculiarities and his violence and sometimes coarseness of language seed has a very fine style but he is not very theological jordan's sermons are very elegant sherlock's style too is very elegant though he has not made it his principal study and you may add smallridge all the latter preachers have a good style indeed nobody now talks much of style everybody composes pretty well there are no such unharmonious periods as they were a hundred years ago i should recommend dr clark's sermons were he orthodox footnote queen caroline writes horace walpole 
much wished to make dr clark a bishop but he would not subscribe the articles again i have often heard my father relate that he sat up one night at the palace for the doctor till the pages of the back stairs asked if they would have fresh candles my father endeavouring to persuade him to subscribe again as he had for the living of st james's clark pretended he had then believed them well said sir robert but if you do not now you ought to resign your living to some man who would subscribe conscientiously the doctor would neither resign his living nor accept the bishopric johnson on his deathbed recommended clark's sermons End of footnote. however it is very well known where he was not orthodox which was upon the doctrine of the trinity as to which he is a condemned heretic so one is aware of it boswell i like ogden's sermons on prayer very much both for neatness of style and subtlety of reasoning johnson i should like to read all that ogden has written footnote boswell took ogden's sermons with him to the hebrides but johnson showed no great eagerness to read them End of footnote. Boswell, what I wish to know is what sermons afford the best specimen of English pulpit eloquence. Johnson, we have no sermons addressed to the passions that are good for anything, if you mean that kind of eloquence. A clergyman whose name I do not recollect. Were not Dodd's sermons addressed to the passions? Johnson they were nothing sir be they addressed to what they may at dinner mrs thrale expressed a wish to go and see scotland johnson seeing scotland madam is only seeing a worse england it is seeing the flower gradually fade away to the naked stalk seeing the hebrides indeed is seeing quite a different scene our poor friend mr thomas davies was soon to have a benefit at drury lane theatre as some relief to his unfortunate circumstances we were all warmly interested for his success and had contributed to it however we thought there was no harm in having our joke where he could not be hurt by it i proposed that he should be brought on to speak a prologue upon the occasion and i began to mutter fragments of what it might be as that when now grown old he was obliged to cry poor tom's a cold that he owned he had been driven from the stage by a churchill but that this was no disgrace for a churchill had beat the french that he had been satirized as mouthing a sentence as curs mouth a bone but he was now glad of a bone to pick nay said johnson i would have him say mad tom is come to see the world again he and i returned to town in the evening upon the road i endeavoured to maintain in argument that a landed gentleman is not under any obligation to reside upon his estate 
and that by living in london he does no injury to his country johnson why sir he does no injury to his country in general because the money which he draws from it gets back again in circulation but to his particular district his particular parish he does an injury all that he has to give away is not given to those who have the first claim to it and though i have said that the money circulates back it is a long time before that happens then sir a man of family and estate ought to consider himself as having the charge of a district over which he is to diffuse civility and happiness next day i found him at home in the morning he praised delaney's observations on swift said that his book and lord orrery's might both be true though one viewed swift more and the other less favourably and that between both we might have a complete notion of swift Footnote. the accounts of swift's reception in ireland given by lord orrery and dr delaney are so different that the credit of the writers both undoubtedly veracious cannot be saved but by supposing what i think is true that they speak of different times lord orrery says that swift on his return to ireland in seventeen fourteen met with frequent indignities from the populace and indeed was equally abused by persons of all ranks and denominations dr delaney says that swift when he came to take possession of his deanery in seventeen thirteen was received with very distinguished respect End of footnote. talking of a man's resolving to deny himself the use of wine from moral and religious considerations he said he must not doubt about it when one doubts as to pleasure you know what will be the conclusion i now no more think of drinking wine than a horse does the wine upon the table is no more for me than for the dog that is under the table Footnote. he could practise abstinence says boswell but not temperance End of footnote. on thursday april the ninth i dined with him at sir joshua reynolds's with the bishop of st asaph dr shipley footnote the dinner was good and the bishop is knowing and conversable wrote johnson of an earlier dinner at sir joshua's where he had met the same bishop End of footnote. mr allen ramsay mr gibbon mr cambridge and mr langton mr ramsay had lately returned from italy and entertained us with his observations upon horace's villa which he had examined with great care i relished this much as it brought fresh into my mind what i had viewed with great pleasure thirteen years before the bishop dr johnson and mr cambridge joined with mr ramsay in recollecting the various lines in horace relating to the subject 
Horace's journey to Brundusium being mentioned, Johnson observed that the book which he describes is to be seen now exactly as at that time, and that he had often wondered how it happened that small brooks such as this kept the same situation for ages, notwithstanding earthquakes by which even mountains had been changed, and agriculture which produces such a variation upon the surface of the earth. Cambridge. A Spanish writer has this thought in a poetical conceit. After observing that most of the solid structures of Rome are totally perished, while the Tiber remains the same, he adds, Ho te era firme hu solamente lo fugotivo permanec edura. Nay, aught save Tiber hastening to his fall remains of all. A world's inconstancy, that which is firm doth flit and fall away, and that is flitting doth abide and stay. Spencer, the ruins of Rome. End of footnote. Johnson. So that is taken from Janus Vitalis. Footnote. Gianno Vitale, to give him his Italian name, was a theologian and poet of Palermo. His earliest work was published in 1512, and he died about 1560. End of footnote. Imolta labescunt, et quae perpetua sunt agitata manent. Footnote. Albula Romani restat nunc nominus index, qui quoque nunc rapidus verto in equa aquis, dice hinqui possit fortuna, immota labascunt, et quae perpetuos in agitata, mandent, Gianni Vitalis, Panoramitani di Roma. It is curious that in all the editions of Boswell that I have seen, the error labescunt, remains unnoticed end of footnote the bishop said it appeared from horace's writings that he was a cheerful contented man johnson we have no reason to believe that my lord are we to think pope was happy because he says so in his writings we see in his writings what he wished the state of his mind to appear Dr. Young, who pined for preferment, talks with contempt of it in his writings, and affects to despise everything that he did not despise. Bishop of St. Asaph. He was like other chaplains, looking for vacancies, but that is not peculiar to the clergy. I remember when I was with the army after the Battle of Laafelt, the officers seriously grumbled that no general was killed. Footnote. Dr. Shipley was chaplain to the Duke of Cumberland. Croker. The battle was fought on July the 2nd, New Style, 1747. End of footnote. Cambridge. We may believe Horace Moore when he says, Rome tibor amem ventosus tibore romam. Footnote. Inconstant as the wind I various rove, 
at Tibur, Rome, at Rome I Tibur love. Francis, Horace Epistles. In the first two editions, Mr. Cambridge's speech ended here. End of footnote. Then, when he boasts of his consistency, me constare mihisis et decere tristem conducunque trant in visa negotia romam. Footnote. More constant to myself, I leave with pain, by hateful business forced, the rural scene. Francis Horace Epistles. End of footnote. Boswell. How hard it is that man can never be at rest. Ramsay. It is not in his nature to be at rest. When he is at rest, he is in the worst state that he can be in, for he has nothing to agitate him. He is then like the man in the Irish song. There lived a young man in Ballina Crazy who wanted a wife for to make him uneasy. Goldsmith being mentioned, Johnson observed that it was long before his merit came to be acknowledged, that he once complained to him in ludicrous terms of distress, whenever I write anything, the public make a point to know nothing about it, but that his traveller brought him into high reputation. Langton, there is not one bad line in that poem, not one of Dryden's careless verses. Sir Joshua, I was glad to hear Charles Fox say it was one of the finest poems in the English language. Langton, why was you glad? You surely had no doubt of this before. Johnson, no, the merit of the traveller is so well established that Mr. Fox's praise cannot augment it, nor his censure diminish it. Footnote. Fox, it should be remembered, was Johnson's junior by nearly forty years. End of footnote. Sir Joshua. But his friends may suspect they had too great a partiality for him. Johnson. Nay, sir, the partiality of his friends was always against him. It was with difficulty we could give him a hearing. Smith had no settled notions upon any subject so he talked always at random. It seemed to be his intention to blurt out whatever was in his mind and see what would become of it. He was angry too when catched in an absurdity, but it did not prevent him from falling into another the next minute. I remember Shamir, after talking with him for some time, said, Well, I do believe he wrote this poem himself, and let me tell you, that is believing a great deal. Shamir once asked him what he meant by slow, the last word in the first line of the traveller, remote, unfriended, melancholy, slow. Did he mean tardiness of locomotion? Goldsmith, who would say something without consideration, answered yes. I was sitting by and said, no, sir, you do not mean tardiness of locomotion. You mean that sluggishness of mind which comes upon a man in solitude. Footnote. Who can doubt, asked Mr. Forster, that he also meant slowness of motion. The first point of the picture is that the poet is moving slowly, his tardiness of gait measuring 
the heaviness of heart the pensive spirit the melancholy of which it is the outward expression and sign End of footnote. Schmier believed then that I had written the line as much as if he had seen me write it. Goldsmith, however, was a man who, whatever he wrote, did it better than any other man could do. He deserved a place in Westminster Abbey, and every year he lived would have deserved it better. He had indeed been at no pains to fill his mind with knowledge, he transplanted it from one place to another and it did not settle in his mind so he could not tell what was in his own books we talked of living in the country johnson no wise man will go to live in the country unless he has something to do which can be better done in the country for instance if he is to shut himself up for a year to study a science it is better to look after the fields than to an opposite wall then if a man walks out in the country there is nobody to keep him from walking in again but if a man walks out in london he is not sure when he shall walk in again a great city is to be sure the school for studying life and the proper study of mankind is man as pope observes boswell i fancy london is the best place for society though i have heard that the very first society of paris is still beyond anything that we have here johnson sir i question if in paris such a company as is sitting round this table could be got together in less than half a year they talk in france of the felicity of men and women living together the truth is that there the men are not higher than the women they know no more than the women do and they are not held down in their conversation by the presence of women footnote gibbon could have illustrated this subject for not long before he had at paris been introduced he said to the best company of both sexes to the foreign ministers of all nations and to the first names and characters of france he says of an earlier visit alone in a morning visit i commonly found the artists and authors of paris less vain and more reasonable than in the circles of their equals with whom they mingle in the houses of the rich Horace Walpole wrote of the Parisians in 1765, Their gaiety is not greater than their delicacy, but I will not expatiate. He had just described the grossness of the talk of women of the first rank. Several of the women are agreeable, and some of the men, but the latter are in general vain and ignorant. The savants, I beg their pardon, the philosophes, are insupportable superficial overbearing and fanatic end of footnote end of section twenty seven